Firstly, when I start most of my preaching, I usually introduce myself. I don't know if anyone doesn't know me already. Um, I'm Sam. I'm married to Lay. Um, I will volunteer two days a week for the church. Um, and the other, the other three days, I'm a special needs primary school teacher. So that's a tiny bit about me. But what I really need to say before we start today is that we're going to hit a topic today that for some of us might, might be painful. For some of us, it might be upsetting. For some of us, it could be quite hard to hear. But it's also freeing, it's also instructional, and it's also is going to cause honour to God. So we're, going to, we're not going to, as a church, we're not going to shy away from this topic, but we wanted to be real with you before we start that it could cause some past hurts, it could cause current hurts, we don't know. But we want to, to honour the Bible, honour God's word, because this is alive, and it's truthful, and all script, I'm moving that back because I'm going to walk into it, all scripture is God-breathed. And so we're not going to shy away from these topics, but we want to know, for you to know before we start, that a topic of uh, living a life in love and sexual purity is one that could hurt. It could hurt, but it's also one that's going to, if we follow what God says, it's going to set us free. It's going to set us in a, a path where we just want to honour God. And I also want you to know that my, my aim for this preach is not condemnation in the slightest not judgment in the slightest. The whole of this message, when I was writing it, I kept on coming back to God and saying, God, you're a God of love. You're a God of grace. Let me root this message in love and in grace, not in judgment or in condemnation. So I don't know about you, if you looked at the, the service cards, the sermon cards. Uh, I've got them on my phone. Let me get them up for you. The, uh, the preach. The series was Gospel of Grace, Authentic Leadership, Different Culture, sec- uh, Love and Sexual Purity, Jesus Will Come Again, Church and Family. When I saw that came out, I was like, yeah, this is a great series. Well, I don't want that one. And I was like, I saw the, uh, saw the rotor, Sam Wilkes, Love and Sexual Purity. It's like, that stink sticks out like a sore thumb. Why me, DR? Why me? I'm, oh, let me take Gospel of Grace. That's a nice one. Let me take Church Family. That's a nice one. Sexual Purity and Love. Okay. Where do we start on that? It stood out like a sore thumb to me. But then I thought maybe that's the reason why God gave it to me. Because it stood out to me and was like, I've been in some tough places in my life in this area. I'm going to come on to some of them later on. I'm going to be real with you guys. But it's one that God's walking me through. And he's done amazing. I'm crying already and I promise I won't, well, I've tried to promise myself I wouldn't cry. Um, he's taken me into a place of freedom and love in this, which is amazing. When I'm out with DR to talk about it, we talked about one of the issues that could come up is only having one spouse. And I was like, I'm not preaching that, DR, because I'm not sure we've got an issue with this in the church at the moment. I've not seen many people turn up with three or four wives or whatever. But I told DR a story about when we were in Dubai for our honeymoon. We were in this uh, four by four Jeep and we were driving. And I like to talk to people, as you probably know. I quite enjoy a chat. So I was talking to the guy, Abdullah. And he um, was our driver. And... Um, his English was pretty good, and I was like, oh, can you tell me about your life? And I was like, do you have a wife? Do you have any kids? He's like, yeah, I've got a wife, and I've got two kids. And he said, um, I've got a wife, but I've got room for three more. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I said, like, oh, yeah, because in a Muslim world, you're allowed four wives. And he was like, yeah, but I can't afford any more. So <laughs> I was like, brilliant, brilliant. That was his theory of why he wasn't allowed any more wives, because he couldn't pay for any more wives. And I, me and Dio were talking about this. We want to bring this lightheartedness to the serious as well. Making sure we're taking things really seriously this morning. But as we said already, knowing God brings freedom 
brings release. And you'll see through it, we'll have a couple of little stories and videos and jokes that will make sure that we're not condemning you, but setting you free in Christ. Now, I've asked Nick to come and read for me this morning. We're in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 12. Um, We're actually reading from a different version to usual today, reading from the NASB, uh, which not many of you might have on your phone, but um, there is a reason for that later on. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Thank you, Nick. Now, on a topic called love and sexual purity, we have to kind of define what sexual purity is, even to start with. Um, So we're going to hit straight in. And we've seen in this passage today that it talks about it straight away. It says, abstain from sexual immorality. Or abstain from a different version, it might what you say in your, in your version, but it just says stay away from it, abstain from it. We're given a really clear instruction. But how do we stay away from something when we don't even know really what it is? Some of you might have an idea of what sexual purity might mean. Some of you might have an idea what love means. But what does the Bible really say about it? So we hit, we hit with this confusing phrase I found um, when, uh, when Nick read his passage, it might be different to yours. It says this, um, but possessing a vessel... Let's read it in this version and here. It's disappeared off the screen. It says, let me find um, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour. What does that really mean, to possess your own vessel? When I first looked at it, and I was reading in another version, I thought, maybe it's your own body. Maybe it's saying, possess your own body. Make sure you don't do things with, wrong with yourself. And um, I was like, okay. I read DR's notes, and clearly... It, that's potential, but it's definitely, from what I'm reading, it's wrong. And um, then I read a guy called John Stott, you might know him. He says the same as DR, so we're in safe hands in that, which is good. Saying when it says possess your own vessel, it's talking about your spouse, your husband or your wife. So if you're a, if you're a man, in this case it's writing to men, it's saying possess your own vessel. It's saying possess, it means acquire your own vessel, which is another word, um, the original Greek is for wife in the case. It, and we see it in... Uh, I mean, Ruth, where it talks about, moreover, I acquired, uh, I acquired Ruth the Moabest to be the widow of Marlon, to be my wife. And the word wife there is the same word 
um, about vessel and possess. It's really interesting. So when, when you're reading your Bible, it might be worth looking around to see, actually, is this word somewhere else if we see a confusing phrase? It also says, uh, uses the word vessel in another part of the Bible. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the, to the woman, as the, as it says, as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs to you, heirs with you, of grace of life, and that your prayers may not be hindered. And in that case, the word vessel is referring directly to wife. And when it says weaker, it's not from what we're reading I did. It's not saying that Peter, it's in Peter saying, oh, women are, are rubbish. It's not saying at all. He, and that, in that context, he's actually talking about physical strength in that way from what John Stott was telling me, which is good. I've, I've enjoyed doing this. And he's saying, do you know what? When we look at this, we can see the Greek behind it. We can see where, where Paul's coming from in writing this letter. He's saying, possess your vessel. He's saying, your wife. Your wife, acquire a wife, a wife, a wife. And we re- why is that important to us today? Because marriage and sexual purity, and he's talking the context of marriage here, is very clear, and we hit our first point, first major point. Marriage between man and woman. Now, in the context of today, that might seem quite a controversial thing to say. If I look at the world around us, which we're going to come on to later on, if I was to say marriage is between man and woman, I would be condemned for it. I'd say I've, cl- I've got a closed mind. I've, got, I've just shut myself off from every other possibility of love, of marriage. I've just said marriage between man and woman. But as I said at the beginning, we're going to hit some hard stuff today. And the Bible is very clear when it comes to marriage. A man and a woman. In Matthew 19 verse 5 and Ephesians 5 verse 31, it virtually says the same thing. For this reason, a man will leave his, his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We see in numerous times across the Bible, occasion after occasion, an instruction is given to the husband or to the wife first, and it's followed up straight away with an instruction to the husband or the wife. It's very clear. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. We see it all over the Bible. Instructions to husbands and then instructions to wives. God is really clear on this. In a world where we're, we're stuck, we're condemned, sometimes we're persecuted for our views in this, the Bible is really clear. The Bible is really clear. Now, I don't know about you, that, that can be quite a hard place to be. So what does that mean to us in a world where the culture of the world doesn't apply to us? Living the life in a difficult, different culture as when we came on to early on. What does that mean to us? Does that mean we condemn the people around us? No, not at all. Not at all. We don't change our viewpoint. We don't change what we know that God is saying and what is true. But we don't condemn the person who's saying they're in a same-sex relationship. We love them. We accept them. And we're coming on this later on. And we believe that God will reach them. And God will, through his Holy Spirit, will work on him or her. But we love them. We love them. I don't know about you, but growing up, have you ever got anything wrong? I'm sure all of us have got something wrong. Have we ever gone against, I don't know, maybe, maybe even so much, you've heard God say something to you and you didn't want to do it. You're like, no, I'm not doing that because I want to do this. Because I want to do this. Do you think you deserve the grace of God? Yeah, we all do. Because God says, I will give it to you. I love you. I forgive you. We've done nothing to deserve it, but God gives it to us. And he loves us and he forgives us. 
So someone who doesn't know God as their saviour, Jesus as their saviour, who are we? Condemn them and criticise them and bring them down. Instead, of, as Jesus did in his, in his word, and we're going to come on to this amazing story later on, he would have loved them, corrected them, and the Holy Spirit would have taught them and brought them through into freedom, into sexual purity. Now, second of all, in this passage, we learn about sexual purity, sex. Now, when I was talking to John I, I, uh, before, when I got this topic, I was like, John, I'm going to have to say sex quite a lot, so make sure you don't snigger at me at the front, because I know what you're like. But sex can be that word, can't it? It's like, oh, no, we're not saying sex. I'm not saying that. I'll make something else up. I don't know. But the Bible's real about sex. The Bible is definitely real. The Bible talks about sex in lots of ways. It's right at the beginning. In creation, it says to Adam, God says to Adam and Eve, go forth and multiply. What do we think they were going to do? Cut a little bit of their body off and just create another human being? And that's not what happened. God's saying, go forth and have sex. Go forth and have sex. Go forth and create babies. Go forth and do it. That wasn't supposed to come out exactly like that. <laughs> but he said, God's saying, go forth and have some sex. So it's real. God ordains it. He tells us to do it in the context of marriage between man and woman. And why is it important? I want to talk to husbands and wives here for a second. I got married in October. Um, so we have sex. Sorry, Lay, I'm sure everyone knows that. Um, why is it important? It leads to greater intimacy for one. God's told us to do it, so we know that's a pretty key. If God tells you to do it, you probably should do it. Number two, it leads to greater intimacy in the marriage. So sometimes when we look at the topic of sexual purity, we can put a lot of, no, don't do this. No, this is wrong. Stay away from that. And that can all be right, because the Bible says flee from it. It says run away from it when it's wrong. But the Bible says when it's right, go into it. Do it. Get there. I, can, I ordain you to do it. He said, God says, do it. I encourage you to do it. So if you're a husband or you're a wife, I'm telling you, when you're married, do it. It's important. But what shouldn't we do in the area of sex? Well, we get a serious warning in here where it talks about um, a brother, um, respecting your brother, honouring your brother's wife, um, in this context, what don't you do? Pretty simple, it's in the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. If you're married, or you're not married, don't lust after someone else's wife, don't lust after anyone. Sex in marriage is good. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Now, some of you all might be sitting there thinking, I've already messed up on that one. I'm not going to listen to you anymore, Sam. I feel bad enough already. Stop talking. It hurts. It hurts. But as I said at the beginning, this message is rooted in love, grace, forgiveness, acceptance. So I tell you, there is good news coming. I'm just going to tell you exactly what sexual purity is, and I'm going to tell you exactly what God says. And he's going to tell you exactly what, from this passage what God tells us to do. So you might be sitting there thinking, this is hard, Sam. This is hard. Then we, this context of this passage is talking about marriage. But we also hit the topic of singleness um, in some, a slight area. So we're going to go into that. So if you're single, you're, still going to, you're more than likely, I would say nearly everyone, probably everyone, will have a sexual desire in some way. 
You might, you might, be, you might see someone walking down the street and have this desire towards them in a sexual way. But what does God say about that? Well, in this passage, in verse 8, it talks about the Holy Spirit prompting us. The Holy Spirit always gives us a way to escape from these things. It says, do not lust. Don't lust after things. Don't lust after people. It says, don't lust. If you're single, flee from it. Stay away from, from lust. Stay away from sexual impurity. Flee from it. Push it to one side. Just push it as far away as you can, it says. Just if, if, if the sexual impurity is that side of the room, make sure you're that side of the room. Don't, don't wander close. You say, no, stay as far away from it as possible because it will corrupt you and it will draw you in and it is wrong and it will draw you in and you'll get hurt and you'll take a step further and you'll take a step further. When, then you can't even, you're like, Jesus, where are you? I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this bound of sexual impurity. I'm stuck. And you're like, Jesus, are you really over there? And Jesus says, no, I'm here. I can take you back. I can take you back. I can take you back. But you're like, no, I kind of really like it. I kind of really want to be here. But God is saying, you know what? This brings you no freedom. It brings you condemnation. It brings you into pain. And it brings you into suffering. And it brings you into staying away from me. And God is saying, I want to bring you back. I want to take you that step by step. I want to, some people, it's amazing, God just grab them and throw them. Have you ever heard those stories where someone's like, I was caught up in the, the throes of pornography and God just took me and threw me to the other side and I never even went near it. God, it was amazing. But some of us, he takes it a step and a step and a step and he brings us back to him. So if you're single and you're wrapped up in something like that, saying, stay away from those sexual desires. Come with me into relationship. Come with me. As I said, be led by love, not lust. I said at the beginning, I'm going to be real with you guys. When I was younger, um, it's a story, Lay knows this story. I, um, I was on a bus on the way home. I used to live in, a, in North East London, in Ilford, Ilford Way, that area. I used to travel over an hour to, uh, get to, to get to my school. And I was on the bus on the way home, and I heard these guys talking about this, this website. And I was intrigued by this website. So I went on and got home, and um, our computer was in the, living, in the dining room. So I, I kind of knew this website was a bit wrong. So I, I, I waited for my parents to be in another room, and I went on this website, and it was a, it was a pornographic website. And, um, and I was like, I enjoyed it. The inner, inner of me, the, the, man, the flesh of me enjoyed it. I got, a, I got a virus on that computer whilst I was sitting there. I had to call my mum and my dad in and say, very awkward story. Mum, uh, this is what's happened. Dad, this has happened there's a virus computer. I held my hands up and I said, yeah, it was, a, it was a pornographic website. And what did my parents do? Did they condemn me? Did they tell me I was entirely like, the worst human being in all existence? No, they loved me. They told me it was wrong, but they loved me. We got the computer sorted out and they helped me. And that's just my earthly parents. What's our Heavenly Father like? going to be a God who condemns you when you're wrapped up in something like that? Or is he going to tell you it's wrong, but love you and accept you and bring you back? Bring you back into him. Bring you back saying, I love you. This is not the way I've made you to be. I've made you to be in relationship with me. So yeah, if you're single or you're not single, you're still going to have a sexual desire. What's the other thing that happens when I was thinking about me when I was single? I had loneliness I was very lonely. 
very lonely. And that doesn't always just work out in a way that seeks relationship. That can be seeking friendship. You can have desire, you're lonely, you feel like, if only I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if only I had a wife or a husband, I wouldn't be lonely anymore. For me, it was around the area of friends. When I felt lonely, I was, um, I sought friends in every way. Um, I wouldn't necessarily dress like it now, but when I was younger, my group of friends were very much the, the rude boys kind of, as I said, I got the bus, you know, top, top floor at the back, the ones always cause the noise and the trouble. That was me growing up, and um, we, uh, I kind of knew that it wasn't really me, do you know, but I was like, oh, I've got some friends here, so I'm going to be like this. And um, I remember begging my parents, and they bought them for me in the end, to get these really nice pair of Air Force Ones. They're like Nike trainers, they're, um, they're probably a bit chavvy now, but um, I loved them, I was desperate for them. And so I, uh, yeah, so I begged my parents, and the main reason I wanted them was because my friends had them. And I knew, I thought, I'd be accepted if I had these. I have friendship. The feeling of being alone would be taken away through these trainers because I'd be accepted into friendship. How wrong was I? Yeah, my friends loved my trainers. I'm not going to lie. They loved them. But that, did that really make us close friends? Not at all. Not at all. It can be the way we dress. It can be the photos we take. It can be the relationships we seek, romantic or friendship. That all are a desire to not be lonely. And my first question for you today is, are you acting in a way where you seek wrong attention to fill a loneliness gap that can only be filled by God? See, God longs us to be in a relationship with him. And he, he, made other, he didn't make just one man, just Adam and then nothing else. He made... Other humans, he made Eve, and then they multiplied. He made us to be in relationship with others as well. And that might not always be in a romantic way. But if you're lonely, come back to the root of it. God made man to be in relationship with God. To worship him, to praise him. So that goes through if you're single and you're not single. If you still feel lonely, relationship with God is first. And then you can pray, Lord, bless me with friends if you're struggling because you don't feel like you don't have many friends. But your identity and your root is found in him. I know that's slightly off the area of love and sexual purity, but in my head it comes into it. As we said already, do not lust. Do not lust. It says that in a passage. Not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God is the exact verse that they use there. Lust in comes from a place where you don't know God, comes from a place that God isn't. God is a God of love. He's not a God of lust. When amazing, do you know when we go to weddings? We didn't actually have it at our wedding. But most weddings, they read God is, and it's like God is love, and then it's like God is kind. And he says all these things. He never once in that passage says God is lust. God just really hit me with that when I was preparing this preach. He said he never says God is lust. He says, no, you know, I'm not lust. I'm not seeking selfish, selfish desires. I'm not seeking all these things. I'm seeking love. I am a God of love. I love you. I don't lust after you. I love you. I pour my love upon you. I'm gracious. I pour my love on you because I'm a God of love. That's who he calls us to be as well. Now, I'm aware we covered a lot there, so we will move on. But I'm going to give you time whilst I start my next point, just to think about it. It's well over what I said. Single or not, we can all fall into, all fall into, Sexual immorality. But at least we kind of know some of it. 
If I've, when I was preparing this, I think I said it to Lay. I could have, and I said it to Nick today. I felt like I could have write a book on this because there's just so much stuff. So I'm trying to cut it down. So point two, why is it a big deal, this whole sexual immorality stuff? Why is it a big deal? Why is sex a big deal? Why is love a big deal? And what happens if we mess up? Well, I don't know if you see it in the world around us. I think we do. The world screams sex. The world screams love. The world screams relationship. Um, Nick, can you, uh, or Matthew, can you jump to the next slide, please? Uh, no. That one. Yeah, so we've got, we're going to watch a video together. Now, this video, to me, is an entry into the world screaming love and sex. I was so busy at work, I didn't think I'd ever find love. Good night. Thanks. That's when I turned to KiaMatch.com. Their compatibility program helped me find the love I was looking for. The Kia Optima. With a five-star crash safety rating and a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty program, I know she'll always be there for me. I just want to get you all dirty and then take you for a wash. Find your love companion at KiaMatch.com. So I don't know about you, that's selling a car. Don't worry about playing it again, I think we've got the gist of it. Um, that's selling a car. That is an advert selling a car. And it's like, where's your perfect match? And like the phrase at the end, I just want to get you dirty and give you a wash. That's like, that's a TV advert. It's got nothing about relationship. It's got nothing about love. It's got nothing about sex. Saying, I know the world... They, don't, they probably didn't sit down in the meeting and say this, but this is effectively what saying. I know the world is craving relationship. I know the world is craving sex. I know the world is craving love. I know if we make a car effort that has it, and we're going to play on some jokes, we're going to draw them in. Sometimes I think the world, without realising it, realises they're broken. Realises there's a need. They just don't know where to find the solution. You might have seen it in Maltese's adverts. There's a new one. Oh, it might not be like you now. I remember it. Uh, is a boyfriend and girlfriend, and the, they, the advert does not mention Maltesers once. They're eating a packet of Maltesers, but the whole of the, the, whole of the advert is just about a sexual relationship that this woman has had with this man. And it's like, the subliminary is like, they're having a laugh, they're talking about sex, and they're like, eat Maltesers, because this is great. That's basically what they're saying. And as I said, there's not a mention of the product. Perfume adverts. You can always tell a car or a perfume advert, can't you? So the perfume advert is all, nearly always, if it's for a perfume for women, a, a, a beautiful woman dressed in a very tight clothes. Um, oh, j'adore you. I don't even know what they're saying. I, but it draws you in. John, you live in France. You can do it for us. It draws you in. They know that the world is seeking sex and relationship and love. You will look like this woman. You will get the relationship she is having. You will get the life she is having because of this perfume. Because of this perfume. It brings you into love, sex, relationship. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad one. The rise of the dating app. I don't know how many times I've been on the computer or been watching TV, like Match.com or Plenty of Fish or Tinder or all these things. This rise of these apps because the world is screaming, I need relationship. I need relationship. It's screaming it. I need relationship. Now, dating apps isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the world... It's a new technology, and they're thinking, oh, maybe I can get a relationship through this new technology. Maybe there's someone on the other side of the world or in, a, in another part of Europe 
that can meet me in relationship. Because we need it. How about you work? For me, the world screams it at work. I work in a school. The Christmas party or any party, you come home what's the, the next day at school, what's the first thing you hear? Who got off with who? who? Who's now potentially going out with someone? I don't know if that's the same in your workplace. Maybe it's just my workplace that it's like that. Not, not the office, obviously, just so we're clear. But Monday to Wednesday at school. Sometimes I don't know why you let me preach. Uh, things just come out of my mouth that I don't even think about. And, um, and No, that's, that's why we don't. And, um, but yeah, he screams it. Rugby, the rugby club. I can't even tell you the stories in the changing rooms, the stuff that happens. And there's me and Jono standing there going, I don't know how we're going to get through this conversation, but we need to love these guys. We need to love them and accept them. And they're, I'm going to call them, they're like my brothers. They're, we're going to love them and we accept them. The amount of stories in the, the changing room about lust and porn and all these things, that's all, not all they talk about, it's, but 75% of the com- conversation is about that. The phrase sex sells. That's probably, been, I don't even know how long that's been around for, but I don't remember a time where that wasn't a phrase. Why is it a phrase? Because yes, relationship sells, sex sells, because we're a, a broken people who need love and relationships. So if you're a Christian or not, and the world screams it, the world screams it, we have a desire for relationship. But if you're a Christian, you know, you know where that relationship is truly met in God. Why is, there, why is the world scream love and sex and relationship? Because the world is broken and they don't know God. So love and sexual purity, why is it even a big deal? We see it in creation itself. Let us make man in our image. So we see that. You might have already done it this week in your Bible course. Depends what week you're on. God is in relationship with himself. So it's, it's the Trinity, three in one. It says, let's make man in our image. So first we're seeing, if we're going to make this image, we have a desire, an inbuilt desire for relationship. And why else did he make man? To worship God. To have, they walked, when Garden even, they walked together. They have that relationship. And at the fall, we have a broken relationship with God. We're cast out the Garden of Eden. And we have a broken relationship between man and wife, between humans. It says this to the wife. Your your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In a moment, relationship with God is broken. Relationship with your spouse is broken. So why is it everywhere? The Bible gives us another easy answer. Because we're people made to be in relationship with God and have other humans around us that we're in relationship with. But that was broken at the fall. So... We're getting on, we're not, 25 minutes in, I'm pretty good timed actually, I'm impressing myself. So what happens if we mess up? I've told you exactly what it, where it was, I've told you in my opinion that the world is screaming it and where it's come from, um, from creation and the, the brokenness in the fall. So what happens if you're sitting there, like I said at the beginning, you've been wrapped up in pornography, you've, I don't know, you've, uh, before, whenever, you may have slept before marriage with someone else before marriage. What happens if you've messed up? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. God is just. And his word is true. So he's not, I'm not going to stand here and say, Do you know, we can just ignore that bit. We can just ignore it. No. His word is true. 
says this about sin, the wages of sin is death. It says in a passage we just, we just read, the Lord is, a, is the avenger in all of these things. Wow. It's a big deal to God. And as I said, I've been wrapped, I gave you a story earlier, I've been wrapped up in this myself, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And I remember there's, there's been times where I've just been gripped with guilt, gripped with shame, not knowing how God would ever use me. I remember saying to God, um, an honest prayer, um, I won't give it word for word because I can't remember word for word, but I remember saying to God, God, why would you ever use me? Look at, and I listed all the things I'd done wrong. And a lot of them were in this area. I listed all of them. I said, God, you would never use me. I'm so weak. I am so rubbish. Why would you use me? What about that person who's never been wrapped up in pornography? Why don't they get to do things? Why, well, just use them, God. I remember saying to you, just use them. But you know why God does that? He doesn't just push us to one side because he's got a plan and a purpose for all of us. He loves us. God is loving, he's forgiving, he is gracious, and he is life-giving. I'm going to show you, just tell you two very quick stories from the Bible that showed us. David and Bathsheba. Love this story. We, whenever I hear this story, I'm like, oh no, David sent someone to get murdered. That's my first response to that. And then I'm like, hold up, he also committed adultery. Like, that's, that's a pretty big deal in itself. But does God then reject David for eternity and say, you know what, you have done this wrong, you have committed adultery? No, he does not do that at all. He still uses David. Yeah, David messes up again, but he still uses David. But God doesn't ignore the sin. God doesn't say that didn't happen. He acknowledges it, it's dealt with, and David is brought into life again. We see it in another passage in the New Testament, the woman caught in adultery. Another good story. So this world, I don't know if you know it, this you probably do. This woman has been caught in adultery. We don't know where the husband, where the man is in this story. And um, she's being, uh, there's a group of people around her, she's being condemned. She's uh, slept with a man who wasn't her husband. And they're going to they're gonna stone her. And I found out the other day through a conversation, a bit of research, that they think she was probably at least half naked in this to add shame to the, to the whole stoning. And um, so she is in this place of shame. She's in this place of guilt. She's about to be condemned. She's about to be stoned to death, as the law says. And Jesus is there. And Jesus says to these guys, for, though, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase it, if you've done no wrong, then you can throw a stone. And so you can imagine the scene, can't you, going, oh, yeah, I did this, and, uh, and or I did, or, oh, I think I'm pretty good, and then you realise all these things you've done wrong. And you can imagine, like, one or two stepping away at a time, and then suddenly there's, like, no one left apart from Jesus because he's done no wrong. And essentially, the, it goes like this. She says, are you not going to stone me? And she's, are you not going to condemn me? And he says, I will, um, let me get the actual phrase because it is amazing. Um, Jesus says to the woman, has anyone condemned you? Neither do I. Has anyone condemned you? Neither do I. Go, and from now, sin no more. That's his phrase. So this woman has been caught in adultery, sexual impurity. And Jesus says to her, 
I'm not going to condemn you. There's another great verse, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to throw that stone. It says, go. Have you noticed that Jesus doesn't say to her, I'm not going to condemn you because I'm going to ignore what's happened. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. In fact, Jesus acknowledges the sin by his end statement of, go on and sin no more. He's acknowledged she's done wrong. She's acknowledged that she's, she was in sin. But saying, I'm not going to condemn you, but I am going to tell you to go. She's like life-giving, giving her back her life because she would have been dead. Um, giving her going, yeah, go, go and sin no more. Go, in fact, she's saying, go and live for me. Go and live for me. She's had this encounter with Jesus, and you can imagine that um, for me, when I, do you do this when you read the Bible? You kind of tell yourself a backstory as well, what happens after the event, because it doesn't always tell you, which I kind of wish the Bible was even bigger, because I'd like to know all the backstories to everyone. But does this woman have this another conversation with Jesus later on, or find some of her, Jesus' disciples or followers and say, can you tell me a little bit about this guy? Because he's just, he, he could have thrown a stone at me, and he's clearly done nothing wrong, but he's set me free into life. I kind of think that she would have met with Jesus and she would become a follower. That's how my brain works. She's been set free from death, just like we are set free from death. And he says, go, go and sin no more. And that's Jesus' cry, God's cry for us this morning, is go and sin no more. Go and live for me. Go and live for me. So, he doesn't ignore the sin. It's going to be dealt with. He doesn't condemn her, and he releases her into life. And I urge you today, if you're sitting here thinking, I, whether it's now or in the past, maybe even in the future, I pray that doesn't happen, but you're wrapped up in sexual immorality, Jesus says to you, I'm not going to ignore your sin. But I died for you on the cross to take your sin. And I'm going to release you into life and say, live for me. He doesn't want you to be wrapped up in guilt and shame like I was, where it crippled me to think God would never even use me. He wants you to give you life. He wants to give you life, set you free, forgive you your sins and say, live for me. Don't do it again. Do not do it again. And as I already said, verse 8, the Holy Spirit prompts us. So our last point, we've got, we've got enough time. Yeah, we have. Our call today. So we see this all over. Verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So what's our call today? Live for him. Live by his perfect standard. Strive for it. Go for it. Do everything you can to please God. I've got four things here. I don't know if I put them up there. I think I did. Live a life pleasing to God. This should excite you. This should go, do you know what? God has set me this perfect standard in love and sexual purity. It should excite me to go, do you know what? God brings me life. He brings me goodness. He brings me grace. He brings me all these things. What can I, this is the best way to lead, lead a life. It's pleasing to God. He's the creator of all things. He gets nothing wrong. Oh, I want to live for him. This should excite you. So in this area of sexual purity is not one that we just have to go, oh, do you know what? I already want to live for God in the area of prophecy. Oh, no, sexual purity. I'm going to stay away from it. No, he's saying, in the area of prophecy, yes, great. In the area of sexual purity, yes, great. In every way of my life, yes, great. I want to live a life pleasing to God. It's the best way. I'm not going to say you're not going to muck up in some way. You will 
I will, we're human. But God uses the Holy Spirit to teach us. He, the Holy Spirit, he teaches us. Maybe you want this for another reason. He did it all for you. Can you live for him? He did it all for you. We broke bread earlier on. He flung his arms wide on the cross to set you free from these things, to bring you into relationship with the Father. Can you do it? A life pleasing to God is one that worships him in all of his ways. Everything you do will worship. We are made to worship. Number two, know that you have been made holy. Something we need to do. We have been set apart. We're sanctified by faith. You, if you're a Christian here today, you are different. You are different to the world around you. You are different. Sometimes we hear the word different, we hear the word weird. Don't we? Like, oh, they're a bit different, they're a bit weird. And, like, we think that sometimes, don't we? No, but we have been set apart. We've been made holy. The Holy Spirit is upon us and in us and goes with us. God goes with us. We are different. So, in sanctification, you've been set apart. Live differently. Live differently to the world that screams sex. In marriage, scream sex. Not in marriage, don't scream sex. Not in marriage or in marriage. Scream relationship and love and acceptance. And when we meet that person who's going through that struggle that we might not agree with, you don't necessarily have to physically do this. Wrap them up in a hug and say, I love you. God made you. And we want a, one of our culture traits is acceptance. We will be open to receive anyone, whatever their background or history. I'm going to skip to number four because it leads on nicely from this. Church, do we? If I brought one of my rugby player friends in that door, as a church, would we love them and accept them? If I brought my friend from work who's in a homosexual relationship, would you love them and would you accept them? If I, if I brought someone who was, whatever, they were struck, they were in a, a relationship, sleeping with a, the boyfriend or girlfriend, would you love them, would you accept them? If I brought someone in who was trans-fluid, would you love them, would you accept them? Would you? As I'm saying this, are you levering up saying, yeah, I could, I could let someone in who was a boyfriend and girlfriend, they were sleeping with each other, but I'd really struggle with some of the others. And it's okay to struggle, but we have to love and accept, no matter what the background or history. Or is there any point in having these up here? To God, sin is sin. No matter what the history or background. But God is also love. So if someone walks in this door in a battle of sexual purity, do you love them? You're going to accept them. And God does amazing things. The church should love and accept and the spirit will correct and teach. church should love and accept and the spirit will correct and teach and if we're lucky 
not lucky, we don't believe in God. But if God will use us in that amazing plan as well. Don't you want to be involved in that plan of bringing someone in? And Matt, you were great at this. I don't know, I didn't know you were going to be here today, but Matt was great. He's a guy that um, used to, I don't still do, but he used to gather other guys around him in a, in a strife for sexual purity and he's out of accountability. So we want to commend you for that, Matt. Well done. Are we going to be a church that brings people through and uses us to bring people into a pleasing life, a life that pleases God? Are we going to be a church that rejects and semi-loves because we have to? As I said, the church loves and accepts. The spirit corrects and teaches. So and what's our call for today? Know you have relationship with God. If you're a Christian here today, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have that relationship. But what's God calling you to do, just like earlier on that word of stretching out and touching the fringe, he's telling you to live in that relationship. When you feel lonely, seek him. He's there with you. Seek him. And church, when someone's lonely, God can commands us to reach out to them as well. When we see that need or, and we, or we notice that someone is, is struggling there or they haven't, you notice that person in the church you no one has spoken to or you'd think, oh, that person's going home to their house. Maybe you want to invite them over to lunch. Maybe you want to go and visit them during the week. Yes, God is their rock, their refuge and their strength that we heard today but we are God's people. We are God's family. Let's reach out to each other. Let's break that loneliness. God hates loneliness. He's a God who, who is in Trinity. He's a God who made community. He's not a God of loneliness. And we're just going to move on to just the end, just the last point, so we can flow nicely through this book. The Paul transitions really nicely into um, the question of how to live, as we were kind of talking. He says, do three things. Live quietly, attend your own business, and work with your hands. You're like, okay, what's that really got to do with me today? So live quietly. That does not mean do not stand up for what is right or wrong. That does, that does not mean just sit there and don't say anything at all because I'm a Christian and I should just read my Bible and I should do nothing else. No, it is not saying that. He is saying... Stand up for what is right, but be a person that carries God's peace. That's what he's saying there. Be a person that carries God's peace into situations. He's saying, go into those situations and bring about peace. Bring my peace with you. Be quiet, be gentle, but correct as well. Attend your own business. Very simple, don't be nosy. Don't, don't stick your nose into other people's businesses unless they're asking you. Um, there is more we could go into that because it's probably a preaching itself about... Um, correction and all that kind of area but for the time being don't stick your nose in where it's not wanted I love that phrase don't, don't, go, don't go shoving your nose in where, you, where you're like oh I just kind of want to feel a bit of self-gratitude in this because I'm going to sort out their problems I'm going to sort them out because I am great no what God's saying here is don't be nosy don't gossip talk for good not for slander that's what he's saying saying yes help people love people like we've heard the whole this passage but do it for right not for self-gain do it for God not for self-gain 
And the last one, work with your hands. So the culture at the time was a manual labor culture. They used to make tents, men tents, a lot of things around tents, carpentry and stuff like that. Um, that's the culture. So nearly all their jobs were with their hands. You had a few like philosophers and stuff as well, but a lot of the job were like uh, were hands. Okay? And our culture isn't like that today. So if we take that and place it in our culture today, what's God saying? He's saying, be involved in your community. Be involved in your community. Live all I've just told you to live of peacefulness and purity and seeking after God and a life pleasing to God. But don't shut it away being hidden. Be involved in your community. Be involved. And it is appealing to those around you. A world that's screaming relationship meets someone who has a relationship with God. And they're like, wow. Why are you so peaceful? Story, and Neil's not here. I don't know where he's gone. He, um, he was saying to me that uh, it, was at, it was at an elders meeting thing. Um, they were saying, what, what have you done this week? And someone said to him, why are you so happy? Is that because I trust God? But if he's not in that community, how does he ever have that opportunity to say, because I trust God? If you sit in your house and you come to church and you go to home group, but you do nothing else, you don't even talk to your neighbour, how will you ever show your peaceful nature of God? How will you ever show that God loves you and forgave you? How will you ever show his grace? And how will you ever show that you are in relationship with him and it's what the world needs? How will you be that light to your community? So where it says, work with your hands, Paul's saying, be involved in your community and show Jesus. Work, volunteering, social, different clubs, talking to your neighbour, at the gate where you drop your kids off to school. Be that light. Be involved in your community. Take the time to talk to your community. God didn't make you to be hidden. He, as it says, he didn't put, he make you a light to be put underneath a bushel. And we could sing that song, but it probably won't. Uh, but he didn't make you like that. Work with your hands. Be involved in community. Seek people who aren't Christians. And show God's love to them. And show them that you are living in relationship with the Father. With God. With Jesus. And the Holy Spirit. So we're going to finish on this. God loves you. God loves you. He tells you the standard he wants you to live. If, you messes up, if you've messed up or you mess up, he's going to love you, forgive you. He's going to tell you that was wrong. He's going to teach you the Holy Spirit will teach and correct. But he's not going to condemn you. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He's going to take you He's going to forgive you, he's going to love you, and he's going to set you in to freedom and life. He's going to set you into it. Go, go, I'm coming with you, but go. That's what he's going to do. He says, when you go, show the world around me how great I am and that you're in a relationship with me. And if you're not a Christian here today, you can have all of that being sent out. And I told you that he paid it all earlier on. He flung his arms wide on the cross, took all your sin. He died. He just rose, rose, came out of the tomb 
and now he's seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. So go. Live by God's standard. If you mess up, you're forgiven. Live by God's standard. Go. 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 Be involved in your community. I'm going to pray to finish. I don't know if we've got, we don't have time to finish with a song. But I'm going to pray to close. If this, um, I'm going to ask everyone to stand, if you're able to. If this is an issue for you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that. I'm going to ask you to do with it with God. And I'm going to encourage you to talk to either an elder... Or if you're, going to, if you're going to struggle with that, talk to your home group leader. Or if you're not a part of a home group, talk to anyone in the leadership team you feel comfortable with. But I urge you to go and deal with this with someone. But as I'm praying, if that is also you, or you just want to, you want to be the person who goes out and engages the community and shows your light and your relationship, I just want you to pray with me. I'm going to be praying aloud. If you want to mutter away, that is great. God still hears your prayer as he hears my prayer. But I'm going to ask you to verbally speak. But I'm going to pray, so probably no one's going to hear you. So it's okay. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you that you're just such an amazing God. We thank you you're a God of love. We thank you you're a God of perfect standards and you're perfect. But Lord, we thank you that when we mess up, you forgive us and you don't condemn us, but you set us into life. Lord, we ask for the Holy Spirit right now to be welling up in all of us, just to, to teach us, guide us, correct us. And we also pray right now that when we're in that situation of maybe sexual impurity or we're tempted by lust or we're whatever, loneliness, and we seek it in the wrong place, Lord, I pray that you use the Holy Spirit, as it says in your word, to prompt us, to give us the way out, to know that the way out is not a way out, it's just with you, in relationship with you. And Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, as we go from this place today, help us to seek after you. Help us to gauge in our communities. Teach us the work of our hands in the modern day. Let us be lights to our community. And let us see the life pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are an amazing God. That no matter when we mess up, you forgive us. But teach us to live for you. Let us be excited to live for you in the way you teach us to live. We pray this all in your name. Amen.